0: Radioinfluence.com. The future is now.
1: Hey, gang, welcome in. This is Jerry P. Tuck. He's my co host, Brandon Thompson. This is the A Place for My Head podcast. We want to welcome you guys in. Uh, First episode since Thanksgiving. So, hope everyone had a peaceful Thanksgiving out there. Some of us did, some of us didn't. We know the holidays typically suck family wise anyways. Yep. But, uh, I know I'm sure we'll get into that at some point, but you know, today we've got a special guest with us. Uh, she's the author of the book, the broken road to mental health in life and in business. Cool thing about this. She published a book on her 25th sober anniversary. Her name is Sharon Feckney. Sharon, welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. You've got a hell of a story to tell. And, uh, you know, Brandon has, has read the book and, and I've gone through it as well. And, uh, you know, you've, you've got quite a journey, yes. <laughs> to say the least. Um, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourselves?
2: So um, I did write this book um, for everybody else, not for me. Uh, it's also one of the reasons I recorded it for free on my podcast. I didn't want anybody to not have access to hearing that somebody has gone to the depths of depression and addiction and alcoholism and really kind of uh, persevered and overcame adversity many, many, many times. So today, in hindsight, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. But, um, you know, 25 years ago, it was a, a very, very dark place. And um, thank goodness there was so much help for me to um, to get involved with, which we'll dive into, I'm sure, later on. But um, I think that the reason to doing this on um, my 25th year anniversary was because it was never planned. Like, I can't even... Um, express how none of this was a plan. You know, I already have two businesses. You know, I have a husband and a stepson and a dog and a cat. Um, No time to write a book. But there was just a need, I felt like, especially in the business community, where a lot of people aren't talking about these things um, like depression and suicide and addiction. So I want to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. And um, I thought it best to relate a lot of what I've been through and then have these kind of conversations. So again, I, I appreciate you having me on to talk about it. I think the the more we speak about it, the better it becomes for everybody.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, thank you so much for being here. It's uh, some of the things you said, like time-wise. And uh, the one thing I'm, I'm clinging on to is, you, I mean, obviously depression is a heavy subject and it's awful to go through, but Hindsight, it was the best thing that could have happened, yes. right? Mm-hmm. I share a similar story. You know, anxiety uh, was uh, super bad for me yeah. at one point, and and you know, until I got enough courage to actually go get professional help, you know, I had to deal with that, uh, and it was it was it was awful. But once I did, you know, over over time of getting better, and you know, constantly tweaking things and this that and the other, and finding things that helped me get through. You know, like a couple of episodes back, I talk about how petrified I was of mirrors and stuff like that. Just weird shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, it ended up being the best thing that happened to mm-hmm. me as well. Um, and it, and it turned into, you know, me and P-Tuck, you know, uh, getting together and, and getting this podcast together, the the website that i built and uh, all the people that i 've reached and hopefully i 've yeah, helped Yeah, it
2: 's incredible so
0: it 's like it 's like all these things I never would have thought would have been imaginable no. if uh, if i didn 't break through mm-hmm. and that 's what I try to tell people that come to me and they 're like i just don't don 't know what to do you know i 'm talking to a girl on Twitter this morning that just messaged me she doesn 't know what to do, and I just stress professional help because i i 'm like i 'm the biggest advocate for it because i 'm living proof that we're living proof that, you know, you can get out of this. So I just think like elaborating on, on your journey and, and, you know, we, we, you know, we're just two regular dudes that are trying to help people and reach people and make this, a, an easy topic to talk about finally yeah. and not be, you know, something that people just want to r- run away from because it's ugly and it's dark and, you know, messy and whatnot.
1: Well, and a lot of times people are afraid to talk about it. Exactly. Because it, ex- it exposes their own fears.
2: Yeah. Well, I've had some very interesting conversations, of course, since the book came out and, um, thoughts that, uh, friends and family members have had that I, I would have never thought I was going to have these uh, conversations. I've had people tell me that I did not try to attempt suicide more than once. Mm -hmm. I was like, um, hold on a minute. That was me. It happened to, and I'm pretty confident that that's really, uh, how many times it was. And, And, and all of the people that I grew up with reaching out to me that had no idea because I really just kind of fell off the face of the earth for a little while And went to Detroit, Michigan and stayed there for two years at the, you know, one of the hardest times I feel like in adolescence, if we can even say it's adolescence between 18 and 21, I don't even know what to call that bracket, but young adulthood, you know, that's when everybody's going off to college and like the normal life, right? (laughs) You're going off to college, you're thinking about what you're going to do with the rest of your life, you're thinking about getting married, you're thinking about popping out some kids. So completely opposite of how it went for me, you know, and um, and now, being able to help somebody else i 'm sure that you can identify with this just doing what you 're doing now and talking on this podcast it 's the greatest gift in the world. I was very um, unaware because i 've been sober for twenty five years. I just thought people talked about this shit all the time
3: I really <laughs> right. did i mean
2: i couldn 't believe. How many people had no clue about alcoholism, addiction, anxiety, depression, suicide? I really, I was like, really? Like, you guys don't just get right to it and and ask, like, what fucked you up? Like, right when you say hello? Hi. Yeah,
1: because most people, you know, (laughs) the only people that can relate to that are the people that have lived it. Yeah. Have experienced it themselves. Yeah. So anybody that hasn't. Like you said, you had two people say, well, you didn't try to commit right. suicide, what you, yeah. you You're crazy. Right. No, you're not.
2: <laughs> right. And it was the norm. And I think what I have found um, almost the saddest part of what's gone on since I released the book, because it's been all great, right? I mean, it's really, I've had tremendous support. I'm That's going awesome. on, um, I don't know, NBC or something on Tuesday, which is great. The more I get to talk about it, the better. But the most um, unbelievable thing is that for people that just have anxiety, depression, not, you know, coupled with all of the things that I got to have, <laughs> you know, with alcoholism, <laughs> right. right, and addiction, that they're, not that there's no support group, I'm sure there is. But in my 12-step recovery, like there's nothing I can't do and there's nowhere I can't go where I wouldn't have a group of friends that like I would instantaneously, know their whole lives in our first meeting. And that's what bonds people and what connects people. So fascinating for me to find out that people that do suffer from other afflictions within mental health, that they don't have that support. Maybe a support group like once a week, outpatient therapy, outpatient group. But I know for me, you know, after I got on my two rehabs and they said, now you go to outpatient therapy. I was like, hell to the no, <laughs> like, no way. <laughs> I don't want to be around you people anymore, the professionals.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I
2: wanted to be with people that really understood what I had gone through. We were speaking each other's language. Yeah, yeah nothing
1: speaks yeah. more right? than life experience. No way.
2: And you can you can relate the same thing to um, people that podcast, people that do radio shows, people in TV, people that own businesses. We all have our own languages, people that are in the medical community, people that are in the music industry. You want people that you can relate to. And yep. that's how, you know, that's how it happened for me.
1: Well, and it's funny you use the word relate because I, I preach that to, you know, everyone I work with, I'm like, you know, if you want to get more listeners, you want to hit home, you've got to be more relatable. You know, that's how you hit home runs. Whether it's, it's on air or just in life in general, you know, the more relatable you are, you know, the more things will connect and the thing, more, more it'll really hit home. Yeah. You know, and truthfully, that's, you know, a big premise of where we started this podcast. You know, we sat down literally once, over a couple of beers. Yep. <laughs> and said, "Okay, this is what I see." He goes, "Okay, this is what I see." And it was just boom. Yeah. Yep. And and the first thing we agreed on was if we're going to do this, we need to be open and honest ourselves and we need to put ourselves out there Yeah. because otherwise people aren't going to connect with us.
2: Yeah, and I have empathy for people that aren't ready to do that, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been speaking about it myself for so long, but in the business community, when people now like the CEO of a company calls and asks me to meet with them and I think I'm meeting with them about business and then the door closes and they say, <laughs> I, I read your book mm-hmm. and I need to tell you about my daughter or my son because this has happened so many times that it is, um, it's wonderful to have a platform where you can speak about it freely, but I don't, um, I don't judge people anymore because they're not ready. I do think that the more people that speak out though, like we are doing just today, the more courage somebody else will have, because ultimately it's just about helping somebody else. I mean, if if you want to feel good about yourself, I can promise you the best way to do it is to just help somebody else. Right. There's like nothing (laughs) like it in the world when you can help somebody, when you can relate to how they felt and, and talk to them about, I know what it's like to be in the dark and to think that there's absolutely no way I'm ever going to get better. I mean, it's 25 years later and I'm still running from that feeling. You know, I'm still working every single day to make sure I don't go back to that. So there's, there's steps that you have to take in order to, um, to do that. I have a daily practice, you know, because I'm more scared of that than I am of getting punched in the face. <laughs> I really of, of anything. There's nothing that scares me more than depression. Nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I can, I can totally relate. It's just, and then the amount of people that, You know, even my family, like, uh, I went on a radio show not too long ago Mm -hmm. and I had some family members that tuned in and, and talked to me afterwards. And I saw the same day and they're like, it all makes
2: sense. <laughs> <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> yeah, they're
0: like it. It all, it all makes sense, and, and, and blah blah blah. And it's just it's just so weird how people kind of put everything together. And, yes. But uh, no, but I, I, you know, I want to I want to hear more about your journey, and because um, a lot of people think that. Um, this stuff just happens overnight mm. um, or there's something there, there's some kind of tragic event that brings it on like a death in the family or something, or, you know, there's all those different things. It's almost like there's an excuse for the reason why you are, you are. Right. And, uh, and I, I just don't, I don't really believe in that. I just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so uh, just, uh, you know, maybe run us through how things started for you and uh, and what got you out of it kind of thing.
2: Sure. So, you know, I grew up in uh, Long Island, New York. Oh, God. <laughs> you're,
1: one of, you're one of those. <laughs> <Is> that <right?
2: laughs> that's why me and Ethan get along. We're both New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, God, that's right. You right, are. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Him and I you just, still got me, buddy. We oh, could talk Jesus. about nothing for hours. It's fantastic. So um, I... I have parents that are still married today, 51 years, you know, Um, they grew up in Ireland. So I come from immigrant parents, a very, very big family. My mom has 12 brothers. Wow. Yeah. And my dad has eight in his family. So to say that we were a big, typical Irish loving family with, there was no divorce in our family. Like we all stayed together. I have a stepson. So I always emphasize that, it was so uh, foreign to me to be in a broken type of situation um, that, you know, uh, we are in now currently as a, um, a modern family, I like to call us. So, you know, I, I just, I went to private school, you know, and I hated it. Um, I wanted to go to East Rockaway High School and wear Sergio Valentes. <laughs> I'm showing my age. I'm I'm more, just, and we're don't like, don't even know I'm, what that is, What is, is Sergio not. Valente? Yeah, all my older people will uh, know what that means. Jord Ash and an uh, electric blue eyeliner. So Okay,
1: <laughs> I, I know about those. Yeah. <laughs> Sergio Valente. Sergio <laughs> Valente.
2: So, you know, going to private school and just not feeling good about myself as a, a young adult, I had really horrible acne. Um, and I talk about it in the book. And I know that that was a piece of my uh, journey through addiction. Um, I found that once I drank a few beers or I smoked a little weed, I would feel better.
1: And what age was this? I
2: I think, you know, I think I was 12 the first time I drank. Um, And it never stopped. You know, I smoked cigarettes from 12 to 23 and a pack and a half of Marlboro a day. Mm. That didn't help my polyps on my vocal cords. but Or your pocketbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. With, I, quit, I quit when it was $1.25. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, yeah. There's no way now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how people smoke anymore. But, um, yeah, so it was, you know, t- to come from a very loving family, I think that's also one of the reasons that I, I really wanted to talk about this because I do think that so many people have this uh, – decision in their mind made about who an alcoholic, a drug addict, um, or somebody that suffers from depression is. And there's no reason logically why I would end up this way because I had all the love that I needed. I have two brothers. Um, there was nothing, you know, uh, they put us through a great schooling, all that good stuff. And I had family around me that loved us, but I loved to drink <laughs> because I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to feel bad about myself. I didn't want to think about um, the acne scars that I had. I didn't want. I was chubby. I didn't want to think about that. Um, it's a lot of pressure uh, being a young adult, <laughs> right? I mean, thank God I don't ever have to go through that again. But so,
1: it, e- I'm sorry. Go ahead. East Rockaway High School. Is yeah. that like like the preppy it school?
2: No, no. So East Rockaway is where I wanted to be, which right, was right, right. the the you know the the misfits that's okay. where I belong, okay, <laughs> but I was in private school, Kellenberg Memorial. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. It was run by brothers and, um, I, I smoked and I lit my hair on fire in the bathroom. Oh yeah. You know, hairspray. We used to tease our well, hair a well, lot. Why wouldn't
1: you? Of course. <laughs> so, you know, so I
2: was always, uh, rebellious because I had so much restriction on me.
1: Right. Well, the, re- the reason I asked, um, you know, when I started high school, my freshman year of high school, I was at Jesuit high school here in Tampa Which is like the all preppy, all Catholic boys school. (laughs) And literally my first day of school, I'm this little freshman kid that doesn't know his ass from his elbow. (laughs) And this kid literally looked at me and went, well, my father's a doctor who makes three million a year. What's your father do? As my abusive father is delivering food to the cafeteria because he's a truck driver.
2: Right,
1: <sighs> yeah. That set the tone for my two years at Jesuit before I escaped. <laughs> right. I, and it's funny because you said all you wanted to do was go to East Rockaway. That's all I wanted to Growing do. up, all I wanted to do was go to Jesuit. That's so funny. Because, you know, if you graduated from Jesuit, you had a full ride somewhere. You yeah. were this, you were that, you were set. And it just crumbled. Yeah. So I, I totally understand
2: Yeah. I wanted to be with the people I felt more like. I didn't feel comfortable in the setting of, you know, having the father that was the doctor or, you know, I just, my parents called me dear Abby. Another thing you might not remember, but I was the solution for everybody's problems. So everybody came to me, right? We're all, we're pointing, all pointing at ourselves, each other. We right? all wear the same <laughs> badge. Yeah. So if you are one of those people, chances are you might um, relate to what we're going through. But I took on everybody else's problems, and then I was left with them. Mm-hmm. They were all okay. Preach. Right? Like, I was the only one that blacked out and moved to Michigan, you know, for two years. But they were all fine. They all went to college. They got married. They, they did their thing. And I ended up being the exact opposite of of what it should look like for somebody that grew up in my family. So, um, yeah, I mean, where, how much do you want to know is the question because there's so much, you know, there's so much, but I I do, I do want to make an emphasis if I could about the difficulty of adolescence. Um, and the, the fact that they're talking about mental health in public schools now which have a real problem that they're not talking about in private schools. Right. Because my stepson goes to a private school. And I think if anybody needs it, it's the private schools, right? Yeah. Um, to sure
0: as hell talk about like sex ed and stuff like that. And I feel like it promotes it more than it helps yeah. them.
1: Well, I think private school wise, a lot of the private schools are, are religious based. Yeah. That's, that's
0: all me right here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to religion, people are just afraid to talk about it because it may not coincide with, with their beliefs and what they're taught. And,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and That's just my opinion, but...
2: No, it's it's true, but it's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> right? I'm, not, I'm not arguing right. that. But. <laughs> because I would say that it happens more commonly the more restrictions are put on a child. I mean, that seems to be the pattern.
1: That's what
0: happened to me, man. I, I was kept under... A, I mean, I mean, there was a thumb on me all the time. Yeah. And the second I... Got a taste of freedom, Mm -hmm. like when I got my driver's license, sixteen. I got to get out of the damn house for and to go be (laughs) me for once. It that shit felt
3: good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I,
0: I, I, from that. Moment on, I was gone. Yeah, I was gone. I I was under the restriction of of private schooling, you know, all the way from third grade mm-hmm. to all, you know. And I wanted to go to the high school I w- sure. wanted to go to. And I actually enjoyed the high school. I got in a lot of fucking trouble, but I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd lo- I I i I like the high school and I liked the people, but again. The, those restrictions just made you want to do more yeah, and get, you know, and just, Oh, you're telling me I can't do that. Well, watch me do right. it. That's, yeah. that was kind of me and my rebellious. So I, I, you're saying so many things mm-hmm. that I relate to and I'm trying not to <laughs> like interrupt and stuff.
2: No, I think it's great. I think that it's common with so many of us. I, but I was a really good kid. I was like a good student. I was honor student. I was an athlete. I was the, all-star in basketball and I was on the swim team and every time I say swim team, I can, I can actually hear my parents like saying, Oh, Sharon had to just stayed swimming and not listen to her friends say that her shoulders were getting big. Cause that, that's what made me stop. Like I became interested in boys. I, I wanted to go out, I wanted to drink and I didn't care about that stuff anymore. But, um, right? so and, and then, but what's great about so that I, huh? is that it, 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 all comes back you never lose who you were, if you grow up with morals, right, and values. But um, it took a long time for all of that to come back because there was so much destruction and trauma and abuse, and um, there was no such thing as self-esteem, you know, because I was at the depths of um, of darkness mm. so many times. And in a small window, right? I mean, for me, the worst times were between 18 to 21. So that's a small window. A lot of people stay out in addiction, alcoholism, and depression for years and years. Um, but it was catapulted so quickly, <laughs> the progression of my disease, that I was very blessed in the sense that it went that hard <laughs> quickly so I could, I I grew up at 21, you know, I started, I feel like learning about life when I got sober and learning to be like a better human, you know, and, and learning that it wasn't so bad to come from good parents and a good family. And, um, but I hated all of that growing up, which is bizarre to say, but you know, I wanted to be in the house where there was divorce and alcoholism and that's bizarre. <laughs> right. Why did I want that? I'll, I'll never know. But um, I know today that um, I'm definitely back to that straight-up nerd, you know, that doesn't like to stay up late. That's me, to a T. Um, did you want to know about, like, you know, a lot of people ask me, what was it, you know, that got me to stop? Right? What was it? What was your bottom? Like, there were so many. There's, in my opinion— it's almost non-existent because it didn't matter that I blacked out and moved to Detroit, Michigan and woke up and stayed for two years. Like that's bad. How old were you when you went to Detroit? 19. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's bad. So Uh,
1: was it, was it just a case of you wanting to leave or was it a case of drunk? (laughs) Straight (laughs) up
2: like blackout. Like for me, my alcoholism, my addiction, like I'm allergic If I drank, you know, I could break out in handcuffs at any given time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my addiction was so fierce that I even said it um, in the book that it probably went like this. Like some guy said, hey, you want to go to Detroit? And I was like, okay. And then I was there. Gotcha. And then I stayed. Because nobody knew there that I had a problem.
1: So do you think it was subconsciously you just trying to get away from, from yeah, the Yeah, I wanted to get away from
2: everybody that thought I had a problem. Yeah, you just know? a fresh start. Yeah. Well, I went to my first rehab at eighteen. Okay. And then I was mandated to my second at nineteen. And then I was mandated to a halfway house for three months. But my parents got me a great lawyer. And, you know, I put my hand on some Bible in a courtroom and said that I would go to this 12-step recovery forever. And then, you know, I got out of that.
1: So was that a good thing that they got you a great lawyer or a bad thing? Because well, it just gave you more opportunity to yeah, go down that wrong road.
2: Yeah, you know, when it's somebody else's decision to get well, right? my experience is that that doesn't work. It's got to be your own.
1: You can't help somebody that doesn't want it.
2: Yeah. And that's very difficult because when, when family loves you and they want to help you, they of course will enable you. And that's what happened to me. And my parents went to, uh, family anonymous, so they were getting help. So when they, when I did get arrested at 19 and I called for them to bail me out, uh, they didn't come and get me because they were going to family anonymous, but then they stopped. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) So when I needed to ride home from the halfway house that I was breaking out of in New York, they were there to pick me up. So, you know, it's a family disease. Alcoholism, addiction, depression, you know, anything that is affecting your family, even if that's not you, like everybody's part of because we all carry it. And some, like I said in the book, to this day, I don't know how what happened to me affected my brothers thoroughly. You know, we've talked about it. My younger brother, especially since he read the book, and he hadn't read a book in 10 years. (laughs) But he read mine because it was only two hours. um, And he knew he'd be in it, so.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He knew he'd be in it. There we go. Uh,
2: But it really led to a wonderful conversation because, like you said before, he really understood my why then.
3: Mm -hmm. He understood
2: why I was the way that I was. And even today, like, people understand now that, like, I don't have any fear because I I didn't die. Uh-huh. I did not go through with killing myself. So I'm not really afraid of too much. Right. <laughs> anymore because of that. And um even though I, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody that they'd have to go through all that to remove fear, but there's nothing stopping me from taking a risk anymore. Right. Because I've seen what it looks like on the dark side. And you, know, I you talked this. about
1: um you know, kind of growing up, at, at, like, the, mm-hmm. the tough years between 18 and 21, I know in my case, you know, all hell started breaking loose when I was around 11. Mm. So it was before I went through those formative years. Mm-hmm. It was going on while I was going through the formative yeah. years. You know, I lost four people to cancer, mm. one each year of high school that my mom and I took care of at home till the day they died. You know, so we were similar in the fact that we were always straight A students. Yeah. Never. I, we, I joked last week on the no show trouble. that the running joke was you could, you know, give me $50 to get in trouble. I would come back with a, a six pack of Dr. Pepper and a deck of cards. <laughs> you know, the, the, I, I was that kid. I yeah. never got in trouble. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about the restraints of, you know, private school and things mm-hmm. like that. In my case, it was more of the restraints of responsibility. Yeah. And I was so young when it was going on that you know, to this day, that's all I know.
2: Yeah. So it's funny you brought that up. And when I was in my first rehab, um, they had the families come up. Right. And because I had, you know, there was really nothing happening at home to cause me to drink a drug. So I told the counselors that the reason that I was so messed up was because my parents made me babysit my younger brother. (laughs)
3: Like,
2: it's like a joke. It's like, what? Like, that's what I was blaming on because we're always looking to, to blame Something
3: right. no, excuses.
2: Yeah. All the time. And, um, I didn't have a better one. So that's what I went with. Right. It was their fault. I mean, obviously they're the reason that my life is so messed up because they wanted to take me away from going out with my friends and partying.
0: Right. So you, you said, uh, you just wanted to get away from anybody that thought you had a problem. Mm-hmm. You meant like a problem, uh, mentally or, or, uh, the abuse of alcohol and stuff like that.
2: Well, I think it all is in the same bucket, quite honestly. Um, I don't think that I think that this whole big bucket of mental health and mental illness, um, I relate to all of it. You know, I relate to more of it now that I am sober. I have many, many OCD issues now that, um, I have under control. I feel like I don't, I feel like this is all like some disease of the brain that we need to do work and be, um, accountable for, But for sure, um, I wanted to get away from anybody that knew I had a problem because everybody once I went to the first rehab when I was 18 and then the second 19, you know, words out, I grew up in a small town that Sharon has a problem with alcohol and drugs and she's crazy or whatever else they said about me. So here I am in a new state where nobody knows me. It's fantastic. (laughs) When I go back to doing shots of tequila again, you know, nobody's going to tell me I shouldn't, right? right? Well, they did after a little while, but. (laughs) (laughs) And then every time I tried, which I think is important to every time there were no drugs and alcohol in my system is when I fell into a deep, dark depression. Mm -hmm. So the depression only came when I had nothing to fill it with. And it was deep and it was dark. So I would, knowing that I could fall back into that, it was just easier for me to drink more. And then, you know, it's a progressive disease. So I started out with just drinking beer, you know, and I ended with crack and Bacardi 151 mm. at 21 to get me drunk. Mm. That's um, a lot, yeah. you know, so... And I think there's a lot of misnomers out there of what people think uh, alcoholism is or addiction. Um, it's, there's, a, there's only one reason why the American Medical Association pays for rehabs. But- <laughs> it's because it's considered a disease. Yeah. Like that's it. it and how to be a doctor writing a letter 80 plus years ago. And and making it okay to allow other people to get treatment. But I have many many thoughts about that. I will not go off on a tangent about it, unless asked. <laughs>
0: That's a, well, full disclosure, uh, you know, I asked you uh, before we started the podcast if there were any areas that you uh, wouldn't talk about or we shouldn't go and uh, go to, and you said no, nope, I'm open book. I'm open. So my big thing, uh, especially coming from the the industry that, uh, that I came from and radio days, you know, everything's a hundred percent music related. Uh, and we, we all know the stories, uh, in recent years of people uh, taking their own lives. Um, uh, and I'm just really, really sensitive to the subject. And that is not, not just openly talking about mental health and the problems and, and, and relating to people as two normal people, two, two normal dudes that, you know, just want to talk about it and, and help people. But, um, really my, I don't want to call it, I guess it's a passion of mine is just finding people that are there, you know, and, 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 you know, I, I bitch a lot about people that make jokes when they hear news of someone died by suicide and they're like, um, uh, it's all that coming like, okay, no big deal. You saw it. Like I, I could go off, right? Like, and I won't, but, um, and then other people calling it selfish and stuff like that. But, uh, um, you know, I've, I've done research, I've heard many stories, you know, but a lot of people just don't understand it. They don't understand how, how someone could take their own life, um, with, uh, when they have children, when they have spouses, partners, what have you, they just, they ignorantly just cannot like let it go they're, they just don't understand it um and i often try to describe and help people understand like relate a feeling to them be like what's the worst pain you've ever been in your entire life and you know they're like i've never broken a bone i have no idea i don't know like maybe when i got braces like no seriously like worst pain ever you know and imagine that times 10 and it not going away and not 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 getting any any, any you know any better um, and only progressively getting worse to the point where you're about to break. So like what at that moment, it's like these people will have they may they ultimately make the decision that they cannot go on anymore or or it could be like on the other thing. If they think their 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 type of depression is they think that their their family is going to be better off without them because they're being um Uh, what do you call it? They're they're just a burden, a nuisance, and someone that needs to be taken care of and watched after and stuff like
2: that. Well, that's what I did. I mean, that was, in the book I wrote about how um, it's like a a photo gallery in my parents' house of all of us from, you know, the time we were little to today. (laughs) And it's unbelievable. It's massive because we have such a big family. And I would go and I would take all of these frames And I would hide them because that would be the night I was going to kill myself. And I thought that if my pictures were gone, it would be less painful for them to see, which is, you know, crazy thinking about that now. But all I could think about was to remove the burden from my family because I couldn't explain what was happening to me. Mm -hmm. I could not explain depression. I just thought I had lost my mind. I thought... I was smart. <laughs> I did drugs. I did alcohol. It's been taken away now. And now all I want to do is die. And I thought about it from the time my eyes opened, which was usually around 1 p.m., <laughs>
3: uh-huh, uh-huh.
2: <laughs> after sleeping 14 hours and just staying in my room um, with the blinds closed. You know, there's a chapter in the book called Tuesdays with Ben, and he was my dad's EAP counselor. And my father worked for New York Hospital for many years, 42 years. My dad's a real Irish, stubborn, you know, strong kind of guy that doesn't talk to anybody. And he talked to Ben about me uh, when I was away. That's what they called me being in Detroit. They never actually said Detroit. They said away. So for my dad to say, I think you should talk to this guy. I think he could help you. I was like, well, if you think so, maybe I should. And if it wasn't for Ben... And being put on those 20 milligrams of Prozac, along with my community, which I think is really important um, in this conversation, because I, I had a combination of love for my family. I had Ben that I got to talk to every week. I was monitored with the medication I was on. And then when I started to feel better, I was taken off of it. And I haven't had anything in my system for 24 years now. So, a majority, I would say, of people that I know in uh, recovery are on on some form of antidepressant. Or, and I listen; it saved my life. I wouldn't dare say a thing about medication, but I do think that there are other solutions—not solutions, but there's there's more.
1: In your opinion, um, you know, a lot of people are afraid to go on antidepressants and, and things like that. You know, in your opinion, obviously it helped you in your case. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of cases, is it more like Robin Peter to pay Paul? Mm -hmm. Because basically you're taking one issue and kind of filling it in with the other?
2: Well, you know, I don't, for me, right?
1: Am I I off?
2: Well, for me, right? I can only talk about my own experience. Is that I needed it. I mean, I was going to, I was going to kill myself. That's what was going to happen.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. So I needed medication. Now, was that maybe a little placebo? I don't know. I know it worked for me. But it wasn't just, I think the thing that is missing a lot in the medical community, and I have a really, you know, I'm real close to it. I work in it. So I get to see it every day. And I get to see the people who I don't believe should be offering help. Because I don't really understand um, depression and uh, mental health issues. To the extreme that I feel somebody that's gone through it might. (laughs) Um, And this counselor, Ben, had been through it. He was a heroin addict. And I didn't know that the entire time he was helping me, but there was something about him. Like everything that I said, he was like, yep. And he would say it in a way where I was like, you are my people. (laughs) (laughs) I get you. And, um, and then I had this community. So I, we were talking about everything that was going on from our family to our friends, to our relationships. And then we had this accountability kind of system, whatever you want to call it, you know, with the 12 steps that helps you not be a, a jerk, which is what I was from a long time. And like, I can't lie about anything anymore. Unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't work.
1: I'll say that's, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, It's a great thing, but it's,
2: um, I'm constantly reminded that if I go back to that person that took me out, I could repeat that you know, and if it's true about progression with any illness, it's going to be, I don't know how much worse it can get than blacking out and moving to Detroit and having your family think that you were dead
1: at 19 at
2: 19. Right. And then, you know, smoking crack and all of the wonderful things that went along with it. But, um, that's why I have to be vigilant in everything that I do now. So I would never give that opinion. Although since the book came out, I've been more open to talking about the things that I feel people are lacking in because now um, I'm surrounded. I want people around me that have anxiety, okay? (laughs) I want people around me that have suffered (laughs) because I really feel like we're a special bunch and we have so much in common. And when we're together, it's like we feel good because we're talking about this stuff. And then we go back to whatever normal You're in, whether that be your family or your job. And it's like, I'm not
3: like you. Mm -hmm.
2: I need my people back.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And it's, um, it's tough for me to understand what it's like to not have recovery that I've had. I've had this community. I moved here from New York. I did not know one person, but I didn't need to, because I knew I could just go to a meeting. And have friends.
1: Yeah. The people that
2: I want to be friends with.
1: There is no worse feeling on the face of the earth than feeling like you're on an island.
2: Right. So that's the thing I don't, I want to be able to help with more is that, um, and I met with the vice president of a hospital that will remain nameless right now um, about this very thing. You know, people that have practical experience, like all three of us have, can be a real help to somebody because we really know what it's like now that said,
1: and, and there's no judgment
2: and there's no judgment. right? But before we start offering help to anybody, we have to really make sure that we're on point. Right? So I did not say a word until I was 25 years sober, like nobody in my business community knew. Mm. And then one day I was like, I smoked crack. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> that's an
0: icebreaker how are you yeah
2: yeah
0: little conversation starter yeah
2: i mean i mean ethan didn't know the people in the studio didn't know that because they, they had only seen me bringing physicians right you know and to get interviewed so i well think, and
1: truthfully like we said you know people are so quick to pass judgment oh yeah without knowing your whole story and yes. everything you've been through it's like Oh God, she smelled crack. We can't hang out with her. What the hell? It might rub (laughs) off, you know? It's like, yeah. Yeah, And that's that's insane.
2: But I feel for, so I'm more curious because I'm just assuming that there's no 12-step program that you're attending. Like, what do you do to kind of get through? I know what I do, right? I have this literal design for living that tells me what I need to do every day. I'm vigilant. I get up, I work out. I meditated before I came. I I practice something every day, mostly because I never want to go back to that depression. And that's 24 years later that I still feel that way, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If my initial thought when I wake up is stay here in bed. Mm -hmm. It is safe here. It is warm here. And there's no humans that can mess up how you feel, right?
0: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So that is the choice. She's one of us. I am (laughs) one of you. I'm not a big human fan, right? But I I do. I love my people, though. I, I don't love ignorance the same as you guys feel. I don't like it when people come to conclusions, but I'm empathetic. Because they don't know what it's like. And until we continue this conversation on a more regular basis where there's more, um, even uh, television shows that come out or um, more music about it will be helpful. You know, if Ed Sheeran is putting out a song about anxiety, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. We need more of that because culture will pick up on that. And it'll be okay. You know, my 15 year old stepson now tells me I can't deal with that right now. it's affecting my mental health.
1: <laughs> <Huh>.
2: <laughs> right. Like, I've created a monster. But, because um, we talk see, about it so much. And
1: see, we talked about this before, that that's like a foreign concept to us. Yeah. Because growing up, we were always told, well, you're the man of the house. You've got to be right. strong. And, you know, don't be a pussy. And this and that right. and the other. And it's
0: like, dude. Like, we weren't allowed to be, I wasn't no. allowed to be sad. Yeah. You know, like, if I if I was feeling down or whatever, my dad, yeah, he called me pussy, whatever. And, or if medication was ever brought up or anything like that, yeah. he's like, pfft you don't need that, like man the fuck up. And, and, you know, so there was a lot of that in my childhood.
2: There still is. And there's with so many people and even in recovery. So this, I covered this in my book. um, People don't, people will shame you if you take antidepressants in recovery, not everybody, but there's a lot of people that like just got off the bar stool, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and they're like, you should do this Well, they're and self-medicating. You shouldn't do that. Right. Yeah. But you know, there's no, there is no judgment. There shouldn't be any judgment and whatever anybody needs to do to feel better, to not want to die should be okay. Actually yeah. should be all right.
0: And you said, uh, how long were you on medication? Six months. That was, so it was literally like a band aid. Just to get you through.
2: It was, I was at that place where, yeah, they had taken me, uh, you know, they'd put charcoal in my mouth. I had already attempted suicide. I wasn't getting better. It wasn't the meetings that was going to help me because people thought because I was an addict and an alcoholic, that if I just go to these 12 step meetings, I'm not going to want to kill myself. Well, guess what? (laughs) I still wanted to die. That talk therapy wasn't enough for me at the time. I didn't want to be on the earth at 21. So that's the, the medication was necessary for me at the time, I feel for sure.
0: So coming off of that, because yeah. I've heard a lot of horror stories. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they uh,
2: weaned me off of it.
0: Yeah, they usually... that Well, exactly. Yeah. But a lot of people uh, that are at that stage in life, um, you know, they're still battling... I don't want to feel this way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be on the earth, like you just mm-hmm. said. And they just take themselves off of it. Yeah. You know, and they don't go Horrible. back to their doctor or something yeah. like that. And, the, and if you read the side of any bottle, <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: we all know side effects of just about everything. Like, I'm sure there's someone that's Diet Coke. Yeah. To, I don't know. <laughs> well, you can
2: clean tires really it, well. Yeah,
0: right. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, and, it, you know, I always... Uh, I always uh, kind of go back to Chester Bennington's story just because yeah. uh, I relate to him so much and looked up to him so much, but, um, he, you know, he went down that same path.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, I feel like all of his lyrics and stuff like that and, uh, how he wrote, you know, everything was depressive. Yes. Um, and it's almost that it, you could literally play all that music and just, it's like the storyline to mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's crazy, but he, he, also took himself off the medication on his own, Mm -hmm. um, and wasn't taking it, uh, you know, within the year leading up to his Mm -hmm. death. So, and that's one of the side effects of coming off, uh, antidepressants abruptly is suicidal thoughts.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, that's why I say like, I had this wonderful trio of awesomeness, like around me, the fact that I, my parents were just, they weren't telling me go get a job, don't go, they weren't saying go to college. They were just so glad I was alive. Mm -hmm. And then going to this, um, EAP counselor, Ben, and then having the medication, that's what I needed. I had a trifecta of, of hope. And then I had these meetings to go to when I wasn't with my therapist. So I was constantly talking about how I felt, you know, which was what led me to getting better. Um, But I I do know that there's a lot of people I know to this day that are still on different medications. I'm not here to judge anybody for what they do. If that helps, I think that's fantastic. But I also think that sometimes it's very easy to write that prescription and not talk about how important it is That you are in a community that is supportive, that you are speaking to a therapist, the right therapist, right? Like I talk about Polly Wanna Cracker in my book. Like she was not the right therapist for me. Right. (laughs) She was too fancy. And, um, But you need somebody that you feel good about. You need people around you that you can trust that are not going to shame you or, you know, you can speak freely about taking medication. To me, it's like whatever works. But the more I am involved now with talking about mental health and, you know, there's a great comedian, Gary... He just did a Netflix special, Gary
1: Goldman. Yes, did you watch it? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, but you I've should. I would love it. it.
2: You would love it. It was so good.
1: Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah mean, he's, he's that that really tall. Really tall.
2: Yeah. All the women
1: thinks he think he's a good looking dude. Right.
2: Meanwhile, he wants to die like yeah. every day. Yeah. 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 And you he look
1: at me and think, oh, this dude's got yeah, it all. He's he played all. like college football at Boston College. Yeah. As usual,
0: the, the famous people they get that special you know card that says yeah. they got it for life, exactly. no problems whatsoever.
2: He's very very open about all of it. Fantastic. Of course, I'm down his rabbit hole and, you know, listening to everything he's ever done, every podcast. And that's how I found him just listening to another podcast. But I also found another great book by this guy. He's from London who talks about how he had been on medication for 13 years. And, um, and he's not anymore because he's practiced all these other things. There's just, there's some practicality along with, um, having the right help around you, but, There's definitely uh, something to be said about doing the opposite of everything. Our our brains that have been tainted a bit by mental illness. You know, my brain says stay in the dark, Sharon. (laughs) Don't open the blinds. Don't go out. Whatever you do, don't go to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) Do not go there. Um, Don't go to the party. Don't talk to people. Don't engage I mean, that's what, that's how it works up here. And that's very sad. And people can't believe that because everybody says, I'm an extrovert. I'm such an introvert. Right. We're all the same. I know you're my people. Preach on. Right. We can do this. I can get up on a stage and have 600 people in front of me. I'm going to give you a show.
1: Haven't you and I talked about (laughs) this? Is she reciting my life story? I know. I I was just thinking about you.
2: I I already know you guys. You do not know
1: this. This is so funny you say this because from the time I was eight, I was a singer. I, I did the whole Star Search thing when I was a kid. Oh, you did! And, How cool! You know, it, it was more than just something I did. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was going to lead to something. So that was my escape. And the running joke was I couldn't be on a stage and sing unless my eyes were shut.
2: Yeah, interesting. You know, and
1: it, it was almost. Long long story short, it was almost like a reverse stage fright, but everybody always thought that I was such an extrovert because I was on a stage singing or, you know, with my background in radio, I was in a studio for every day Mm -hmm. for 15 years, whether it's producing or on air Mm -hmm. and everybody always, and it's so funny we're talking about this because we've totally talked about this before. So if you guys have heard it before, uh, sorry, I'm going down this (laughs) rabbit hole again, but um, you know, everybody had this vision of who I am. Yeah. You know, so we'd, you know, we'd go out and play with the band, take a break. Everybody, oh, your life of the party. But there was always this tinge of I'd stick to myself unless somebody talked to me.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm not going to go out of my way to talk to you. No. Because frankly. find I, me in a corner. Right. Right. I felt inadequate. <laughs> yeah. I felt like I didn't belong. I didn't mm-hmm. fit in. I'm going to stick to myself. Now, yeah. if you approach me and talk to me. Oh, I'll talk your goddamn ear off.
2: (laughs) But (laughs) But I'm not seeking you out. Right. Right.
1: uh, And a lot of people took that the wrong way, that I was a snob Uh and I was a dick and this and that and the other, because all they knew was that, that bigger than life personality Mm -hmm. and that happy go lucky guy that was on a stage putting on a show and you know on the air putting on a show. So Mm -hmm. it's so funny you're you're talking this because it's so common. Well it's almost like leading a double life. It is. Because what you see in public is that guy everybody loves. Yeah. But as soon as that person gets in the car.
2: Oh my God. Not fast enough. No. Mm -mm. Well I was a wedding singer. Well I'm singing at a wedding next week. Oh cool. Well yeah, I guess. But (laughs) um (laughs) I thought I was going to get out of it, but I mean, I, I do love it. I'm, I'm very comfortable on a stage and I, I, I thank my parents for that. I mean, they put me into theater when I was young and I was singing, you know, Oliver Twist songs when I was in high school and I grew up with singing in my family We're Irish. That's what you do. My two of my brothers are in bands, you know, I've just been my whole life. So that was definitely helpful. But to say that I have never wanted to be around people, which is funny. I I host events, big events. I work with doctors. I do PR. I go on radio shows, but, um, it takes everything for me to, to go out.
0: Same. I mean,
2: isn't that funny? Don't you? I mean, I love talking about this because I know how shocked people are people argue with me. They're like, you're not an introvert. I'm like, yeah. Okay. Let's go down the list of what an introvert is. Mm -hmm. I am the person that wants a window seat on the airplane. I'm always wearing my headset nothing's necessarily on. I just don't want you to talk to me.
0: Yeah. Right?
2: Mm-hmm. I mean.
0: It's like you're going through the grocery line at Publix <laughs> and, and, the, and the cashier's going to want to do the small, small talk. Oh, and not I'm doing like small talk. I'm like, I'm to the point where I just want to put earbuds in yeah. and just, but it's so rude, I know. you know? But yeah. so I've gotten better over the years, but, but see, hell, man.
1: I kind of come from the different angle because I come from the, well, if I keep people laughing, they're not going to know.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. So I, I, you and I come at it from different angles mm-hmm. because I'll be the guy that, you know, at Publix, I, I'll look at the cashier. Oh, oh, thank you for shopping Publix. You know, I appreciate it. You find everything okay. I'm like, hey, yeah, sure. How the hell are you? And my wife looks at me and goes, oh, God, here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's almost like a defense mechanism. Yeah. You know, it's just how I'm wired. Well, yeah, I right. find
2: that I have to do the opposite of everything, like I mentioned before. So I do practice um, kindness or I practice talking to people Um Thanksgiving morning we were at IHOP and there was a guy with you know the big earrings I don't even know what you call them but it like takes like gauges yeah gauges and I thought like wow it, right but <laughs> they were bigger they were bigger than that and I just I don't know I was like pulled to him. You know, I got up, I was like, tell me everything about your earrings. We had such a great conversation. He's like, everybody thinks I'm a heathen. I'm like, yeah, I mean, everybody right now thinks you are, but I'm talking to you. (laughs) I know you're not. You just maybe like those earrings. I don't know. You know, my brother has sleeves. Um, we found his tongue ring at Thanksgiving dinner many, many years ago and (laughs) I called him out on it, but you know, people don't know us, right? People think they know us but they really don't. Mm -mm. And and however we have grown up has shaped us. And the people that we surround ourselves with, that's why I make a lot of correlations about business because I'm very aware now if I see or I meet people in business that I can tell or phony, like, I can smell you a (laughs) mile away. You know, don't play that you got your shit together because, (laughs) honey, I know you don't. And I I don't like to be around that, but I can see getting caught up in, in those circles because of of money or of uh, whatever that comes with it. Um, and I, I found myself even in it in my business world. Um, but thank God I have this like knowledge about working on myself so vigorously that if I was to give off this kind of like I'm fancy and I wear Italian dresses, I'm going to... I'm going to lose it. I'm going to end. Who knows what's going to happen to me? Because that is not me. Like I have to remain completely authentic to who I am all of the time and speak my mind and not care what anybody else thinks because I don't care actually.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, I was about to say uh, like the tattoos and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And people just want to run up and ask me about them. What do they mean? Mm -hmm. It's like. Fine. Like I don't want to talk about it, really, you know, I'd like. And they're like, well, why do you get them? I'm like, because I like them, you know. I look at my, I look at my arms and legs and everything, and I can look at each tattoo, and it's sort of like a journal for me Mm -hmm. because I can remember what I was going through in my life at the time. Mm -hmm. There's tattoos that I've gotten for purposes of what I was going through at the time, you know, different things of that nature. And it's not something I feel like sharing with people, Mm -hmm. especially random people that just want to run up and I mean, I have people that just come up and just start rubbing my arm. (laughs) I'm like, what (laughs) the get? What lady, lady? is that like
1: pregnant women? I was just
2: thinking. That. That's what people go to pregnant women. I, I think and do that.
0: again. I'm going back to Publix. Publix is a huge trigger for me. Now that we're you about need to stay it. away from. Publix. And just for the record, we
1: love Publix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sorry. And if if you Publix would love this to sponsor. This
3: <laughs> yeah, I do. Well,
0: I go there all the time. I do love Publix, but that seems to be. Full We
1: do own. My family does own Publix stock. We love yeah, Publix. <laughs> I love Publix. I love
2: it. I just hate running into anybody there. Yeah. yeah. My it's, husband is the first question he asked me when I get home from Publix every Sunday. Did you run into anybody? Like, <laughs> Thank God. No, not today. Why
0: is it so bad to run into some of the You see him at work why. every single we day. We know why.
2: Because we don't want to do small talk. Well, right. you know, I
0: don't. The, and that goes back to it. People think that we're great and, and think that I'm an extrovert mm-hmm. because of the way I look mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm introverted mm-hmm. like to the core. Yeah. And when you get caught off guard and, and, a grocery store, we'll just stop saying a grocery store. (laughs) And you see that person that you're only used to seeing Monday through Friday, you're off your game because you spend so much time battling what's going on up and up in here. Yes. And and you become so good at it on the Mm -hmm. outside that you let your guard down when you're kind of comfy. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh shit. You know, you have to turn around and, and try to get out of this one instance that is so major in your head for a matter of a minute and a half. Yeah. And it seems like an eternity,
1: and that minute and a half sticks in your head for two and then, weeks. And then you're,
0: then you're like, oh man, I hope so, I didn't like, come did across okay? wrong. <laughs> I was wearing a hat. Oh, did god, I, I, I look came like across shit? like shit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like oh, yeah. they're gonna, am I doing anything wrong that they're gonna go tell my boss? Like, what, like you know, there's so it's, funny. oh my it's god, I, I was walking endless. through
1: Publix. Here we go again. I was walking through Publix <laughs> in gym shorts and a cut off t shirt. Shopping is a pleasure. I, I, I want to circle back to something. You talked about growing up, you know, you, you were kind of the fixer. You were the one that everybody came to when all hell broke loose. And, and I've had the same thing my entire life. In my situation, it was always, I'm going to take care of everybody else. So I don't have to yourself. face my own, sure. my own issues. And, what we do. Yeah. How did you overcome that?
2: Um, so after being sober 10 years.
1: I guess the better question is have you overcome that?
2: Oh, for sure. Okay, good. Yeah. No, I'm so good with saying I can't even help you. I'd have to start at like ground zero with you and we need a team of experts and a white van. Yeah. No, Play-by-play I know play guy in a color yeah, analyst sitting in the yeah. corner. Yeah. I really have to love somebody today, like on a deep level to really help them because I see that most people don't want to listen to you anyway. You know, most people just want to hear themselves talk and Um, and not do the actual work that it takes. They
1: want your advice until you give it to them.
2: Yeah. So I don't do that anymore. But, um, I would say my first 10 years, uh, even being sober and, and living this healthy lifestyle, I was, um, I was unhealthy still. I was still, um, picking the wrong men in my life. I was, um, I was just, I was not a hundred percent honest. all the time I, I found myself still better than I was but still not really taking uh, full responsibility of like my mind, body and spirit. You know, like I, I was still blaming others for things, you know, when, when my ex cheated on me, you know, I didn't want to see any part in it. So I, I always talk about accountability because it has saved me. <laughs> it goes back to like when I was in rehab and I was blaming my parents because I had a babysit, you know, I was right. looking for reasons, but the hardest thing in the world to do is to really look at yourself instead of telling yourself the story about why you are that way. Because I see people telling themselves stories on a daily basis. You know, I am this, I am this, I am this. Well, whatever you say you are, you are, you know, like if you think you're sick, you're sick. If you think you're well, you're well. So um, it took me a long time. I moved to, I would say I attribute most of it to moving to Florida, which God, I hate giving Florida credit. It's growing up in New York. Well, moving to Florida,
1: was that again a situation? I don't want to yeah. compare it to Detroit because obviously- Oh, we know it's the,
2: no comparison. Well,
1: <laughs> but, but it might be because subconsciously, was mm-hmm. it moving to Florida to get away from the issues?
2: Oh, well, I was in a toxic relationship. Okay. Yeah, with a man who was cheating on me. Um, and I moved here. I had been vacationing in Madeira Beach for years. And I used to get back on the plane and think, people really- uh, have jobs here. Like they go to work and they come home and it's sunny still (laughs) every day. Wow. I like it here. You know, what's the
1: line? We live where people vacation. It's true. It's true.
2: But you know, um, and I don't want to divert on this, your question, but that seasonal thing, it's real, you know, in New York, majority of the time it's gray. And that really affected me. For somebody who suffers from depression, it's not a good idea for me to be in the dark because I'm going to feed into that. You know, if I could stay home and just watch Netflix and not go out, that's a dream and eat like Sundays and all that stuff. So I have to constantly practice doing the opposite. But to get back to when I came here, um, I spent two years alone, meaning alone, like trying to figure out why I was still attracting the wrong people in my life. And I don't even just mean like uh, love relationships. I mean, humans, friends, losers, bosses, you know, why am I attracted to toxic people? And that has taken, you know, that's like 20 years, maybe I started feeling like I really, I'm good now. But so that's only five years ago. You know, Mm. I really would never talk about, being any person that felt mentally well except for the last like real five years, because my husband's like Mr. Rogers. I mean that movie, I don't need to see the movie. (laughs) I married him. (laughs) You know, he's wonderful. He's a UPS man for 26 years. He doesn't have an alias. You know, he never did drugs. He doesn't smoke. He's foreign to me, you know? So I, but I always attracted the wrong people because I felt bad about myself. So I didn't want to be a solution strategist anymore to everybody's problems. I'm a solution strategist in my business, but I don't, I, sorry, I I want to get paid for it. I'm (laughs) fixing your problems. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but, um, I don't, I think it takes so much time. It takes so much work. It takes so much empathy. It takes so much, um, compassion for yourself, you know, into, and forgiving people. And, um, it's taken a long time, but those two years that I spent by myself, um, hearing a a friend of mine who's since passed on Jimmy Marino, uh, every time I'd want to complain to him about Kevin, you know, the one that cheated on me, he would say, you are the problem. (laughs) I thought that was mean, you know, (laughs) but it was true. I was the problem and I was very happy, of course, to be in a different state than him. So it was easy. I didn't um, make it geographic. I've been wanting to move here for a long time, but it certainly helped. I like um, starting over. I like changing. I like reinventing myself. So I just wanted to reinvent myself here. But those two years really, really helped me um, of being able to look at nothing else. I didn't have a job for the first six months either, so I spent a lot of time alone.
1: Well, you kind of hit on the fact that growing up the the whole self-esteem thing mm-hmm. was a foreign concept as well. Yeah. How did you overcome that?
2: Um once you start doing esteemable acts, you know, you gain self-esteem. So as soon as I stopped being a dick and I stopped judging people or I or I was gossiping or and and just started being kinder. I mean, it's very simple. Like it sounds simple to say it, but you know, when I feel bad about anything today, about myself today, I go help somebody else. Or I just, I'm super annoyingly kind <laughs> to strangers, you know, or talk to somebody in an elevator. Because it, it does, it's what helps me feel better. And there were so many people that were um, available to help me that it would be really selfish not to give back, you know, what was so freely given. But it took falling in love with myself to... um to to not want to be like, I love my own company today. <laughs> I think that's a part of the isolation of my depression and disease is a tiny little piece of it, but to be completely content in your body and your mind, you know, that's, that's like hitting the lotto for me. I'm not trying to escape anything anymore. I'm not trying to run away from anything anymore. I'm, I'm uh you know, I like trees. <laughs> <laughs> I like really, you know, cheesy things, nerdy things that I did when I was a little girl. So all of that self-esteem, like, I also think the people that you surround yourself with is so important. You know, I made a decision last year, even in business, that I was going to level up. Even the people that I was spending with professional people, because I can very easily throw down and start talking about how everything is really bad. But I'd much prefer to talk about how everything is so great, you know, once you start getting over the... Um, complexities of, of depression and self-loathing and people have gone through shit. Right. I mean, you talked about what you went through as a kid, like I didn't have that. Right. So, right. Like sometimes I feel like I don't deserve to even have gone through that addiction and alcoholism and wanting to kill myself. I had everything going for me. Everything. People have real stuff that happens to them.
0: Everybody has a story.
2: Everybody,
0: you know, and it's, uh, it's crazy how it, it, some of the people that are suffering right now that we try to reach out to all the time are the ones that are afraid to get help, yeah. or don't want people to know that they're struggling, mm-hmm. and they internalize everything, and they just they you know they have those parents that are like mm-hmm. you're not you're not that come on man up or doesn't yeah. have to be a, a, a guy it could be anybody but um you know if it's i think that's the single hardest thing to do in in the mental health game is what is is having enough courage to actually do something yeah. to get out of it that's not a bad way to get out of it <laughs> yeah. um and so you know i've talked about that a little bit but what you know really made you because you, you know you're talking a lot of really good things over the past 20 25 years mm-hmm. right um but in the beginning like i know it was a struggle and it took a long time to do but what Where did you find the confidence to move forward?
1: How hard was it taking that first step?
2: Every single thing that I did was hard. I mean, I think that um, it couldn't have been more divinely planned because I had to travel from Long Island to go to my therapist in Manhattan. So that meant like, oh, my God, I have to get on the Long Island Railroad with other people around and then I had to walk, and then I had to take a bus. That Just that, (laughs) every Tuesday, was a challenge for me. So, And every time I did it, I felt better, and I felt more accomplished. Um, When I was invited to something, and I said yes, and I went, and I didn't die because there were other humans around, and I talked to them, (laughs) I felt better. Um, When I started working again, you know, I got a part-time job in the beginning, and... And then I got a bigger job in Manhattan and I felt better. You know, I was doing these, um, esteemable acts, but I also was no longer, uh, consumed with self. I think that's when I really started feeling better was then I actually saw that I wasn't the only thing on the earth.
1: That was going to be my (laughs) next question is, you know, at what point did you realize, okay, I can do this?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I realized it definitely, um, the first year. I would say a full year of me being sober and six months off of Prozac and feeling comfortable in a routine of, of going to these meetings that I was a part of and, you know, having a person that I can speak to about everything, like all the things I was so completely ashamed of, you know, I still talk to her today, you know, it's 24 years later that I'm I'm with the same woman in New York, Cynthia, who has, uh, has been a great help to me. She tells me the truth. I have people to call, That I can get what I want to hear. And then I have people to call (laughs) that tell me what I need to hear. And those are the only people I want in my life. I want people around me that will tell me the truth Mm -hmm. because I know how to bullshit you (laughs) and everybody else. And I know people, I need people that really know who I am. So if they don't see me for a few days, (laughs) <laughs> will call me <laughs> right. and ask me if you know I'm in a, a deep dark room just watching Netflix for 17 hours, you know. Um, so it, it took time. Everything took time. But as soon as I joined the world, I started doing better. I also started listening to other people's suggestions that I always thought were stupid, like meditation. Like I practice that today. I practice getting really silent to listen to what I'm supposed to do next. Um, I exercise, I, I eat right. I, you know, I do all the things I don't want to do. I don't want to do any of them. <laughs> I so just want to eat the pie. I know.
0: <laughs> I just want to eat the pizza.
2: That's it. That's then all I want. All the
0: bread. Right. All, oh, all the Give bread. <laughs> the pasta. Right. Damn it.
2: Because we there's the addictions come out in other places. Mm-hmm. I could be addicted to work. I mean, I love what I do. So I work all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. We're all here on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Allure. And it was not a problem. It's like, yeah, yeah, Saturday. Who cares? You know, but when you love what you do and this, especially when you're giving back and it's purposeful, I mean, there's nothing like that in the world.
1: Yeah. It's funny you say that because my addiction's always been work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had never had a problem putting in 70 or 80 hours at work yeah. a week. And That's it's just good. what I did. And and you know subconsciously that was my escape. So I I totally totally get it.
0: Yeah, the game changer for me was uh, was the website when I built the website. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that was that was when I really started to feel good. Yeah. Um, um, but like for years, you know, my wife saw me social anxiety mm-hmm. running in corners, sweating bullets. Mm-hmm. Um, And to just no extent, I didn't know how to do anything about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, panic attacks where I would lock up, lock up, Mm -hmm. start sweating. And I just have to be put on the couch and I, I was basically paralyzed for, yeah. you know, a short while and just sweating profusely. And it's the scariest thing to see. But, uh, you know, getting out of that and, and and the it's almost like baby steps, right? Mm-hmm. You do a little bit here, a little bit here. Yeah, then that's they,
2: exactly what it and is. And
0: then, you know, I, I hated Limelight. I I didn't, I can't stand the sound of my voice on a microphone. <laughs> I would never want to be on a stage. I mean, when I tour managed bands, I was the tour manager. I was in the band. I was behind. I was yeah. backstage, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anything, you know. Any type of attention, but ever since I started having all these people reach out based off like Mm -hmm. writing, like even my childhood best friend, uh, we've talked about this. But he was like, "Dude, did you write in school?" And I'm like, "No, man, I did drugs, I drank, and I, (laughs) you know, just chased chicks. That's all I did." And he goes, "Where did you learn how to write?" I'm like, "Dude, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just." do it. It yeah. just comes out like it's, nice. it, it's it, it but it's therapeutic for me mm-hmm. and, it, and, and, and it's having a positive effect on other people mm-hmm. and people are, are realizing that they're not alone and people aren't, you know, uh, as fortunate as myself to, to have a graphic design background and can build websites mm-hmm. and can, you know, um, have this platform that they don't have Mm -hmm. on their own and they can send me stuff and I can post it for them. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, wow, you know, you're making a difference. You're doing the right things for these people. Yeah. So there's
2: something to be said about giving back.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. It's so great
2: though. Right. To Mm -hmm. hear you say that, because it, if people only knew that um, these are the best types of conversations in the world, you know, because we're just, we're telling our own stuff, right? We're letting all the secrets out. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not okay <laughs> all the time. But a work in progress and knowing that you could have helped somebody else because I do. I think that most people that suffer from any type of uh mental illness, wh- whatever box you want to put it into, we're typically the ones when that people would come to. Yeah. That people would ask advice. Yep. And then we kind of Check out for a while. Yeah. And then we come back and we're like, yeah, we really do like this, but let's not get lost this time. You know, like for me now it's, I don't want to get lost in helping everybody and losing myself again, but how can we do it as a a community, you know, where there's, there's help for everybody. Like I said, you know, I feel bad because there's no 12 step mental health, 12 step anxiety, 12 step, you know, (laughs) 12 step, whatever, that stuff, as much as everybody in my whole life, and I've been there when people have made fun of it and not knowing that I had been a part of it since I was 21, like that, that place saved my life. Those, those people saved my life. I don't know how people do it without having a community. So you have built this community. So, you know, kudos to you for doing that. I think it's amazing.
1: Well, that's the whole reason why we started doing this. Is yep. You know, we we've said from the get go, we're we're so far from being professionals in this, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But we just want to start the conversation.
2: Yeah, and it's great podcast too. You know, because um, I get asked for practical tips now of what can I do? Like, there's always my AirPods are always in, not just because I don't want to talk to anybody, but I'm listening to good information. Right. You know, like I listen to Jay Shetty or you know something that's going to feed my soul. And then business stuff. You know, I love Gary Vaynerchuk. Like, that's my idol. Love him to death because he curses all day long. <laughs> he talks about real stuff, <laughs> like about business that I adore. But I really think that we have so much more outlets now because of social media, and because of being able to just start your own podcast and talk about things like this. And that's how I found you guys. Don't you want to know how I found you?
0: Don't say it. Google. <laughs>
2: No, I went, so every it Tuesday. It wasn't like on
1: the wall at the post office, <laughs> was it?
2: Well, the first time. Yeah, no. Don't believe what you read on the bathroom wall.
1: I'm just saying.
2: So I went, um, so every Tuesday over the last few months, I made a decision that I was going to work on my own business. And mostly it's because of this book. Because I have two businesses and now I have this book that I want to get out into the community, right? And, um, and I've done PR forever for other people. So I know how to do that but doing it for yourself. it's a different animal. It's a totally different animal. Mm-hmm. And it like when you're getting paid for it, at least you feel better about it because it's this ass kissing. <laughs> I hate. Right? So on Tuesdays I Google stuff, but I just I put in Tampa Bay mental health podcast and you guys popped up.
0: Cool. Awesome.
2: That's cool, right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. That's
2: what you that's what you would want. And I don't even think there was many out there that weren't Tampa Bay, like, and to speci- especially because it's men that are talking about it. I mean, women, like, we love to talk about ourselves, <laughs> you know, all day long. Well, just
1: for the record, she said
0: that, not <laughs> us. I know, I know, but... <laughs> honey, if you're listening, no, <laughs> But it's it's so, it's, that's awesome to hear because that was the goal, I, yes. I think, um, or one of many goals when we sat down and had those two beers with each other mm-hmm. uh, and reconnected after so many years and we're like, you know guys need to come out and start talking about this stuff. And, and, and it's gonna, you know, and just to hear organically, Mm -hmm. it it, it reached out to someone like you. Mm -hmm. And for once social media does what I love social media for. Mm -hmm. It got real people together to talk about real situations, real stories, Mm -hmm. not just behind 120 characters, you know what I mean? Mm So it's, uh, that's, Fucking great. It
2: is. I it is great. I, yeah. I'm thrilled about it. We
1: said when we launched, we don't care if we have one listener, 10,000 listeners, yeah. 100,000 listeners. If we can connect with one person. And help one person. And help even one person. That's all that matters.
2: That's it. And if that's it. your intention, then you're set for life. I, I laugh when people ask to come on my podcast of how many listeners I have. I said, well, more than you. Like, <laughs> like somebody. Uh, Does it matter? (laughs) I mean, it doesn't matter because you have to get this message out. You have to talk about mental health more. It is suicide rate is insane. It's insane. Um, For every 40 seconds, you know, and um, and especially with these kids today, there is no possible way that we shouldn't be putting this information out there. My uh, 15 year old for my birthday in October, my gift was that he had to read my book. And then I wanted him to write a summary about it.
3: <laughs>
0: and he nice. did.
2: Because I don't want him to think that I didn't fuck up.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Because that's what parents do, I feel like.
0: Lie to their kids.
2: Yeah, lie to the kids. Do as I say, not as that's I do. That's right. Yeah. Get all straight A's. Meanwhile, I failed miserably. You know, it's, it's a joke, you know. We should really be just teaching our kids to be kinder to people, mm. you know. And um, those are the important things. I mean, you're not going to use your... Division long, like long division, and me never had to use it. Yeah, I right. It can. I can Google it now, too. It's like my dad.
0: <laughs> I've never smoked weed later on in my life, in my professional career. Man, your dad gets the best weed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it.
2: Well, your book. What yeah. is it? Where can people find it? Amazon. 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 You find
0: everything on Amazon.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Everything. Yeah. I didn't even, I had no intention to write the story about me publishing that book is like a joke. I wrote, I think it's on the last page. Like I, you know, I have a friend that did some work and learning about self publishing. I don't know how I got on Amazon and I don't know how I got in target, but I'm thrilled to death that they're in both those places. You know, a $13 book is not going to make me rich. And I don't get $13 Like Amazon gets a big cut You know, Jeff Bezos is a smart dude Bastard Yeah, it doesn't matter though Like I don't care about it. it was never the intention
1: Right, right Your
2: intention is the same as mine As long as it's helping somebody else That's all that matters
1: And your podcast?
2: I have two The Dr. Whisperer And 13th Avenue Media
1: And where can they find those? Everywhere Beautiful Beautiful she is Sharon Facchetti. She's the author of the book, The uh, Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. Uh, thank you so much for coming thank in you. and joining us today. You've got an, an incredible story. Thank you. And, uh, you know, we're always here for you if you need anything.
2: Uh, I'm going to call you on that. Yes,
1: definitely. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: thank you. Cool.
1: Guys, thank you so much for uh, downloading the show this week. Um, you know, we end every show. We talk about the suicide hotline. If you feel like uh, you need some help. It's always there, 800-273-8255. He's Brandon Thompson. I'm Jerry P. Tuck. Don't forget to hashtag Get It Out.
0: This is a Jim Fannin Show Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Be thankful for your subconscious mind, which will help you manifest the future, That's your manifest machine. It doesn't know fantasy from reality. The subconscious mind, which controls our body, breathing, heart rate, does not know the difference between fantasy and reality. So that means with free will, our number one on our thankful list, we can program our subconscious with anything. We can create our blueprint for the future. Dreams come true. You just need to have a blueprint so that it's not just a wish and good fortune
1: favors the bold.
0: The Jim Fannin Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher,
3: TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.